Are you an ambitious, driven entrepreneur starting to feel overwhelmed, maybe a little trapped by your business? Well, I have a solution for you. It is the five-day bottleneck to breakthrough challenge, where in an hour a day, we will give you the roadmap, the blueprint, the treasure map to where you can find yourself with more free time, more freedom of money, and a more valuable business. Hope to see you soon www.bottlenecktobreakthrough.com. This is The Real Bottom Line, where we tell entrepreneurial stories about true grit and perseverance from frontline business owners themselves. Now, let's get started. Well, hello and welcome to The Real Bottom Line. It's a special episode because it's number 100. Yes. And normally as entrepreneurs, we don't always celebrate some of the achievements we have. So we thought we'd take the time, step back and really celebrate, you know, this is two years in the making to have the 100th episode. So I thought I'd talk a little bit about how it started. And it all started with Neil Stephen from This Is Marketing back at the beginning of the pandemic. He started this thing called the Brand Accountability Bootcamp and he ran it every morning for a long time and every one of us, a whole group of very diverse entrepreneurs would show up and we would talk about what's going on and what do we need to think about and all oh, this grants out and all that kind of stuff. And after 111 episodes, Neil decided to put a pin in it, but he said, hey, if anyone wants to take over, you can. So I decided to take over the Friday interviews and turn it into a podcast called The Real Bottom Line. And we have tried so many cool things along the way. So for example, we started out with an audience. So for the six, first six months, every Friday morning at 8 a.m., we went live. And we had guests from all over Canada. So I felt so bad for some of them that were up at seven in the morning in Toronto to actually talk to us about whatever they were doing and, and to teach us some lessons. And then we morphed into, well, let's just tape them and do them whatever. We tried financial besties. I had uh, Francis Shagan come on with me and we talked about things about money and CFO type stuff around running your business. We did a couple of replays with Eleanor Beaton and Tara Haddad because they were such great episodes. And so now we're here at the 100th episode and we're doing something new again today. We're live. We've never shot it live. We've always done it through Zoom. And joining me today is Donna. How, so glad to have you here. I'm so excited to be here. So Donna, you are the uh, one of my guests actually from back and I was so excited by your episode. You've been in business 35 years. Oh my God, what an achievement. And to the, today we're going to look at all the clips from back from some of my favorite episodes, some of the fans favorite episodes and just add some commentary to it. So excited to do that. Yeah, so you built a company that has evolved as the market has evolved. I, I really love that you've done that because you started out buying ads for people. Right. We were and now buyers. you're kind of like this whole encompassing strategy marketing company, um, you know, solving client challenges using the head, the heart and the soul. How has that evolved for you and how can we relate this back to some of our guests today, do you think? I think, you know, I think in business, everything is evolving all the time. And, and certainly in the marketing industry, uh, it's at the forefront of change and, mm -hmm. and popular culture and uh, consumer behavior. And mm. so we are a dynamic industry. So it's almost impossible to be successful and rest on your laurels. So you constantly got to be changing yeah. um, and be 
learning new skills and adapting and so on. And that's what I love about the marketing industry, frankly, yes. is just that it's uh, someone says, how can you do something for 35 years? Well, diverse number of clients in different sectors and our industry is changing dramatically. So it's kept me intrigued. There's always something to learn. And so as a curious person that yeah, just, you know, your, it thrills me. Your embrace of curiosity is, I think, something I also like. And I think that's what has really driven some of these episodes. Like when I went back and I was picking some of these episodes, it was so hard because there were so many great guests over the last couple of right. years. And, uh, you know, we distilled it down to 12. I read 256 pages of transcripts to try and figure out the nuggets. And as I was doing that, before to, to get the audio clips for today. And as I was doing that, I was really struck by how much as a collective, as business owners, we've learned on our journeys and that it's so important to share that. And I think that really is the, you know, the, the crux of the real bottom line is to teach these nuggets so that other people can learn from what other people have done. You know, it's fascinating to hear other people's stories. Mm. Um, I, I don't think, um, that we can say that words teach all that often, but mm. hearing other people's experience, uh, experiences and the heart with heart and soul yeah. uh, is really just such a fantastic opportunity on the journey of life yeah. and in work. So I love what you're doing with the podcast in that you're really bringing to the forefront. You're not you're not kind of corralling it and mandating it. You're just letting it go where it goes. Mm. And it's rich territory for yeah. entrepreneurs and, and uh, people to to listen to. So I really love that that kind of opportunity to peek inside entrepreneurial life, yeah. entrepreneurs life. Yeah, there's so much richness there, as you mm -hmm. said. Uh, and it's been so interesting, too. My guests have been from around the world. I have interviewed people from the UK, Australia, people in Mexico and South America mm -hmm. and the US, across Canada. Uh, so I love learning from different perspectives globally as well, because I think that adds to the richness. The yeah. Business is done differently in different places, and there's something to be learned from each of those places. Yeah, and I'm curious, um, even though there are geographical and cultural differences, I think a lot of what we deal with uh, as entrepreneurs is really the same. Yes. You know, we, we deal with the same things. So we deal with, you know, what's happening in our business, we deal with what's happening with our clients, mm. um, and and we also deal with what's happening in our head. I, I love how you've cued that up, Donna, because that's where we're going to go today in those three areas. I'm, I'm looking at operations, and we're going to listen to some clips from some people who had some really interesting things about operations. Then we'll go into the branding, marketing side, and then, like you said, it's the inside job. It's how we, our heads and our health, our mental health and everything that right. really does affect our results. And we have to be aware of that as, as entrepreneurs. That's right. Well, let's get started, shall we? Awesome. Okay, so we're going to talk about operations first. And the first clip we're going to listen to is from Ross Simmons. Ross is a genius in my mind. And uh, even though we're on operations and he's in marketing, we'll hear a little bit from him again later on in marketing but he's building a virtual company. So his foundation marketing is all over the world, his employees are all over the world. So I thought we could listen to this clip and just talk about what it's like to have a hybrid or virtual organization. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Ross's, so I'm looking forward to it. 
Yeah, so we've been remote work since the beginning and it was intentional. So for me, when I was working in uh, my first career, it was in the office. Everyone had to go to the office. That was the way that it operated. Um, and prior to even starting foundation, I told myself I wanted to create a company where we could attract some of the best minds in the world and ultimately give people the ability to um, maintain some flexibility in their lives while also giving them the ability to do some of their best work. So the way that we do it is we invested a lot into a high quality onboarding experience. Our onboarding experience is filled with documentation. It's filled with videos that people have to watch. It's filled with in-depth experience where they go through and learn the foundation way. We have spent a lot of time intentionally planning and trying to create the perfect first week. And on that first week, we have them meeting teammates, meeting other foundationites. We have them put into a designated Slack channel. We have company swag and documentation delivered to them. Um, those are some of those things that make sure that upfront the onboarding experience is strong. We then believe in over-communication. So we're big believers in written words. So there's a lot of documentation. There's a lot of emails that are being sent. Um, those things happen often. As any CEO and founder would know, you also have to repeat the mission and the, docu the, the vision and the goals over and over again. And we do that. We have transparent documentation that showcases our goals, where we're going, um, our metrics, KPIs, all of that is transparently shared. Folks know everything that's going on in the business. And if they want more information, they can get access to it. We celebrate wins regularly. So we have shared Slack channels where the team is always talking publicly about what their wins are. We're celebrating each other. We do a regular um, award to foundationites who are living up to their values. Uh, we do coordinate and schedule regular um, sessions with the team on training and development, both professional and personal training and offerings. Uh, we make sure that our goals are transparent because we think high performance is rooted directly in your ability to see your goals and what you want to accomplish. Um, we have um, always hired self-starters. So people who try to really uh, jump in and make an impact themselves and also have that ability to really communicate uh, in a way that is meaningful and place a lot of emphasis on that. Uh, and then on top of that, we have some Slack channels that are just for fun. So we have some channels that are random and water cooler moments where people will ask questions or a, an AI will put up a question inside of our Slack and it will say, where's somewhere cool that you've been or what has, uh, what is the last, um, what was the last sweet that you ate? And then people will have conversations about that. And then we also have a pets channel where the team, about the cat videos where everybody is always talking about pets and cats and things like that. So there's a lot that goes into it, but I would say the biggest thing is being very intentional. A lot of people kind of just were forced into remote and didn't think about how to do it. And because of that, they kind of just did it in some type of like sloppy way where they brought over a lot of the old ways of business into this new modern approach. Uh, and it's kind of cost them in some ways where the culture just doesn't um, evolve with the remote time. So um, those are some of the things that we do. Hopefully some folks can find a nugget or two out of there. Yeah, that they absolutely. Well, what struck me there is when you talked earlier about how there's a lot of commonalities, no matter where you are about business, Business is about people, right? Right, and when we look at, and you talked about the old way of business, like the old way, and he's talking about a new way. Right. Really, we are, I think the pandemic forced an evolution in terms of what does work look like? You know, it's interesting, Wendy, during the pandemic, you know, there was a lot of talk about borders. Mm. Um, and I think the virtual borders or the guardrails we had up in business 
they were taken down. I think, you know, I know my team was ultra productive during the pandemic, although we were working remotely and, yeah. and, uh, and it, we've been working remotely, uh, had a hybrid situation before the pandemic. But this idea of these guardrails uh, of business being done a certain way, and it's a tragedy that a lot of people just went back to yeah. uh, doing um, their work and, and uh, running their companies the exact same way and forcing people back to work, which has also had a backlash. The other thing I loved about Ross's uh, clip there was, you know, he talks a lot about, you know, how they celebrate, they have pets, they over-communicate, they collaborate, and it's all culture. Yeah. And it's it's very clear that he gets people and he gets what, mm. what you know, being an inclusive environment is all about. Um, just his his uh, intentionality and his kind of details around his onboarding process. Culture is extremely important and I think more important now than ever. Mm. And we we kind of gave it a nod before the pandemic, but I think we're actually taking it much more seriously now. I think that's so important. And I think the other thing that I really liked is about, it's almost like it's about bring your whole person to work, mm. right? Get in and talk about pets. Where did you go? Like, and that communication and then, and, and recognizing that, you know, we are human and that having that little jolt of humor, or that little joint of, oh, someone gets to know me. It doesn't have to be at the physical water cooler. Yeah. I mean, I, one of the beautiful things about the pandemic is I got to meet my client's kids because during Zoom calls, their kids were crawling all over them. And it was just, it just made everything just a little more human. We still got the work done. Yep. And I could relate to a lot of our clients who are parents trying to parent and be teachers and so on and their struggle. That's so fascinating. Well, our next clip features Sheila Cummings, and Sheila is a business coach and trainer out of Toronto. I met her years ago, and I actually uh, did some coach work with her for about a year, and her company is called The Founder of The Road to Seven, and she also has recently been, she's been very passionate for a while now about um, women entrepreneurship and the financing of that, and so she's actually started now a microloan program so that uh, women entrepreneurs have a place to go when the traditional uh, foundations won't serve them. So that I think it's going to my heart. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, and she's going to talk a little bit about hiring. And she had a perspective that kind of blew my mind. And that's where the beauty of running your own business is. We know we need to have systems, but we need to build these systems based on the universal truth of what that system needs to do. And then we adapt it to how we do business and how we as people work. You know, you have a different work style from me, who has probably a different work style from Len from Melanie, from Kelsey, from Christina, you know, and as a business owner, yeah. one of the perks is you get to do it your way. For ways that work with what your zone of genius is. With who you are, with your style, with your strengths, with your visions. You know, we were talking about hiring and not everybody has to hire the same way. No. Like it's, you do what you need in the moment. And we, as the business owner, I think it's important that we look at all the options but ultimately we get the final say. One of the things that Sheila has said in some of the interviews we've done is about hiring 
at a strategy level versus a tactical level. And it kind of blew my mind because every time uh, I've been looking at who do I hire next, I make a list of things that I'd like, I don't like doing or I'm very bad at, and I'm gonna go, that is who I'm hiring. They're, they're gonna love doing this stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And she had this comment around, if you don't hire the strategy level for those people, you're still gonna have to manage them. So they're still mm -hmm. taking up that stuff that you want to get out of your head is still in your head mm -hmm. because you're managing it. Mm -hmm. So to hire people who are smarter than you. Always. <laughs> I always try to hire people that are smarter, but sometimes in the more junior hires, uh, what we're looking for is the same thing that Ross has talked about is that entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial mindset. And so people who are self-starters, because I, I agree with Sheila that you want people who can think broadly so that they can see the whole picture, so that you're not having to coach them through every tactical step to get where you're going. Uh, I also agree with her on the customization of your business. There is no one size fits all right. uh, for how you should run uh, your business. There's no one size fits all for, I think all of the social constructs that we have in our society, whether it's marriage or sexuality or whatever there's no one size fits all so finding yours and helping your staff to find their kind of leadership right. style is 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 very important i did a um i moderated a panel one time with two business leaders and they couldn't have been more opposite one was listen we're going to consult with everyone we're going to do everything and it's very collaborative and the other guy was like listen i just tell them what to do they go do it and what was interesting is they were both highly successful. Mm -hmm. Their businesses were booming. Mm -hmm. And it was just like, oh, you know, the epiphany I had is you just, you have to hire to match your style. Right. And not all styles are right or wrong. Right. Is what I took from yes. that. Now, the next clip is going to feature Laurel Carr. And Laurel is an, uh, she runs in pagination and she's having 35 year anniversary as well. Congratulations, Laurel. <laughs> you know how hard that is. <laughs> it is. I'm only at 17. I'm only halfway there for you guys. And so uh, she has some great perspective on building methodologies. You mentioned something I think that's critical to, to productization of a service too, is almost defining your methodology of how you're going to deliver that product now. And that's where having someone with a 3000 foot view can help because often we don't see how, you know, we don't see our customer journey. We don't see the, the steps that a, a, a customer might go through in order to make the decision to engage. So part of what we do is, is break that down and how are you going to address that? Mm -hmm. And how are you going to give, um, uh, comfort or um, understanding to the customer that you are going to take care of um, all of the aspects of what you're delivering. So you're not just um, delivering a one and done solution because there's often a, a, you know, you get to a certain point and then there may, may be another, um, then there's the next step after that and the next step after that. Not that each step isn't valuable in itself. Yeah, coming up with a uh, being able to see the methodology or being able to streamline the methodology is really important because often mm. we see um, people doing something we call meatloaf. They keep doing the same thing they've been doing, you know, year after year, and um, 
uh, and they don't remember why anymore. And that we call it meatloaf because of the award-winning meatloaf story where the, you know, the, the granddaughter uh, wins an, uh, the, you know, blue ribbon prize at the fair for um, her meatloaf. And in an interview, the, um, uh, she's asked, so why do you cut it in half before you bake it? And she goes, oh, I don't know, I'll ask my mom. And her mom says, because your grandmother's oven wasn't big enough for the whole loaf. And so off we all do this, right? We all do things that we have been doing and have forgotten why we're doing them. Oh my gosh, Laurel is bang on the money there, isn't it? And that just goes right back to your comments about social constructs and how we run businesses. We have to sometimes go back and examine why do we do it this way? Yeah, I think it's human just to uh, get up and 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 you know even if it's not working the best to just keep going through the motions and um, and trusting that you know I'll, I'll you know that will get me to where I've always been. Right. But I think challenging ourselves to ask the question why. I know in my business I invite everybody to say, look, if you're doing something and you see a better way, step up, talk about it because Absolutely. you know whoever that process may have been developed quite a while ago things have changed so on so rewarding you know people who think differently about problems i think is important and then that goes back to the culture because you need to create a culture where someone is okay with with challenging status quo absolutely which is tough it has to be trust there has yeah. to be trust in in that and i think that's what laurel was talking about even with her clients that sense of trust builds collaboration builds success and I think that goes back to to go back to the original methodology point. I think having a tried and true step by step process doesn't mean that cookie cutters come out. It just means that it's going through the same steps and it can be a completely custom output for that person. But it's a the step by step gives the people comfort, the client comfort that, you know, hey, we're going to do this, then we'll do this. You know, and, that, and, yeah. and apply that to their unique situation. And then the other side of that for the people doing these steps or involved in this process is sometimes they cannot be connected to why in a process that's delivered to them. So this is the way we do it. And unless we can connect people mm. to the why, they yeah. can't really build a, a better mousetrap or help build a better mousetrap. Oh. So that why is very important. That's so fascinating. Our next guest that we're going to clip is Cynthia Mason, because once you've built that better mousetrap, you have to do something to protect it. And Cynthia is a trademark lawyer who has her own firm. She's originally from Dartmouth, but she's in Ottawa now, yes. and it's Mason Law. So let's listen Great. to Cynthia. What is the difference between a trademark and a copyright? And when should I care about either one of them? Well, a trademark is really the name. It's the primary trademark you have is is your name, like your your business name, and your other trademarks are your logos. Sometimes you have a tagline. Um, if you have a specific product or a program or a service that you're offering, and you've given it a unique name that's different from your business name, that's a trademark. It really is the things that people use to identify what it is you're selling. Yeah. Copyright is the con like it's it's the body of law that protects your content. So the text that you write, um, if you're an artist, it protects you know your drawings, your paintings. If you're a photographer, your your photographs are protected by copyright. It really is 
it's content. It's the body of law that protects your original ideas that are written or articulated in a specific form. So it's content. Trademarks are the visuals that you use to identify a source of a product yep. or a service and copyright is the content. So when I do my website or I do a new document, I write a little copyright symbol. Is, what, is that, how strong is that? Well, I mean, it's a symbol to the world that you are claiming ownership of the copyright on the content on your website. And, you know, generally speaking, most people know you shouldn't copy other people's words. I, I think this is a step, this whole copyright trademark that we gloss over as entrepreneurs, right? Because it's one of these, I'll get to it things. It's an expense. We're, we're so full, full on, full ahead that I think that this is a step that's not always considered. And I think when we do it right and do do the trademarks and things like that, we're actually building a more valuable business because now we have intellectual property. Yeah, those assets are, uh, you know, they're part of a, a, a higher valuation for your business for sure. Yeah. Any kind of IP is. I'm guilty of kind of not paying enough attention to copyrights and trademarks uh, in the past. So I understand that completely. Um, and I think we only, in some respects, only really start to look at it when someone's kind of overstepped a boundary. Right. Yeah. It's almost like retroactive. Yeah. Reactive versus proactive. Yeah. 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 It's, it's one of those things I think that more people should be paying attention to as they develop some of their unique methodologies and they come up with the names for their products and all those things, because those are, those are the things that are in the market and they need to be protected. Let's face it, Wendy, nothing's original. It's all a kind of aggregation <laughs> right. um, of your own methodology, if you will. Mm -hmm. And you bring up a really good point. It, it, if you trademark it, it is now an asset in your business. And the asset in your business ultimately makes your business more valuable. Absolutely. And more attractive. And more attractive. And it kind of, this is a lovely bridge, I think, over into our next segment we're going to talk about marketing and branding and how important that is. And that's, I mean, that's your gig, man. You do that. <laughs> we do. Yes. <laughs> so uh, we talked a little bit earlier about the evolution of marketing and our first clip is going to be about personal branding from Monique Bryan. And this woman is exceptional at what she did. She started out selling jewelry globally and she was in fashion and she became a branding expert from a personal perspective. And this is the clip we're going to listen to her. I love it. What is personal branding? How do you define it? I define it, I think it was, was it um, Jeff Bezos who said, it's what people are saying about you when you are not in the room. That is your personal brand. Because we can be out here talking, talking, talking about what we do and who we serve and how amazing we are and whatever. But when we're not in the room, when people are having conversations and personal branding comes up or finance comes up, whose name follows. That is your brand. When they think of, I always like to say, I work for testimonials. What people say about you when you're not in the room. I love it. Right. And it's so important. Mm -hmm. And I think um, there's another clip we'll play too for her. All entrepreneurs need personal branding. 110%. 100%. Because now more than ever, people want to know who they're buying from. Mm. Nobody, it's faceless brands. Those, those days are over especially in cancel culture where we're at right now everything is who am i giving my money to and who am i aligning my values with who am i endorsing because it says a lot about you for the products you buy who you 
um, interview even who interviews you and you don't always know this person's like all their values and all their story but now more than ever it's important that you do that research so personal branding what it is personal branding why we need it what are your thoughts on this as a marketer so you know branding is a really personal branding is a really interesting subject and i have my own personal thoughts for myself and then i understand how you build a personal brand i mean yeah kim kardashian built a personal brand she sure did yeah and say what you want about it it's <laughs> it's proven to be successful for her but i think it's important that we also live up to our brand Authent authenticity right and yes. i think brands personal brands are probably uh built over time so i would like to think that when people talk about me when i'm out in the room they call me dependable oh, like okay. you can rely on her when she says she'll do it she'll do it yeah and that comes with doing it time and space repetition over and over again so i think there is a personal brand and i think it's really important to understand your personal values and uh, live those because they really are the foundation for your brand so understanding your values is really important and and how you promote that but i also think it's the living it every day that's so true and i think social media has amplified that mm -hmm. and it's so easy to to make a little misstep there, I think, and people have to be so conscious of that. Brands have been, you know, decimated by consumers who didn't like what they stood for. Yeah, and it's true. Uh, there's, if you look at uh, Richard Branson uh, and his followers, and then you look at Virgin and their followers, the number is multiples higher for Richard because people want people. Right. So what would you say about someone like Elon Musk and their personal brand? exactly you know yeah um he has a personal brand yes and it seems to get more controversial every day right but it is, it is his brand it certainly is yeah. our next clip is uh, caitlin burgoyne uh, and caitlin uh, i just find her her perspective so interesting and fresh on how she looks at things and she is um she has a, a newsletter called why they buy and every time it comes out, she talks about how many more subscribers she has. She's over 40,000 subscribers wonderful. for that now, which is amazing. So seeing her take her ideas and monetize has been, it's fascinating to watch. But where she really shines is in the why they buy. Or, and sorry, you know, the customer journey. Right. How do they make the decision to come see you? And she's made mistakes along the way and that has informed her learning. And I love that perspective. And I would go and sit down at the boardroom table surrounded by their brilliant leaders. And I'd ask them the question marketers need to know, which is tell me about your customers. And it was very surprising to me how often I couldn't get a good answer to that question. Mm. So either there was, you know, disagreement on the team about who the priority priority was like one person might say, you know, are, we're really going after these folks and somebody might go, yeah, yeah. But like, also this, this audience really matters to us. And the other thing I get was really vague answers with a lot of confidence. So people would say our like, you know, ideal customer profile or ICP are companies that sell on the internet with anywhere between 10 and 500 employees. And then like they would stop and I would wait and I'd go, and like that's everybody what do you mean that's that's not an ideal customer profile that is you just described aside from enterprise and like very small micro businesses you everyone in between is your customer 
like, and so it was clear to me from my own journey with building the wrong product because we didn't understand our, our customers well enough to seeing this challenge with a lot of product teams that were building good products but couldn't get the right audience for them and couldn't attract people because their messaging was off, that there really needed to be more of a focus on understanding who the customer were. There's so much gold in there, Donna, so much gold. And I blame Caitlin for the fact that I now do customer research. <laughs> but it was interesting when I did, I, I hired someone to do, a, you know, um, the why they buy or the the what is what is the job to be done uh, and it was fascinating the information that came back totally not what i expected so this is my world uh, you know more often than not clients will come and they have uh, a view of who their customers are and let's face it people buy products and services based on need or desire mm-hmm. um so understanding what your product or service what need it's filling is is an immediate first step um, but they, they have a, often a one-dimensional view of their consumer as opposed to uh, you and I might both like luxury vehicles. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean we're the same in terms of other Stuff. areas of our life or how we come to decide on what luxury vehicles or what luxury vehicles mean to us. So understanding, you know, uh, the psychographics, the demographics, the preferences, uh, you know, the belief system of consumers is really fantastic. Why they buy. Right. It's Caitlin's spot on. And I feel like a lot of people, and I'm 100% guilty of this, we make assumptions. Mm-hmm. Right? Oh, I want to serve so-and-so, so that's who my audience is. Yeah, and I love this ideal customer, you know, she makes a good point. Uh, you know, it's uh, we'll often get, you know, the demographic is 18 to 54 or 25 to 54. And, you know, that's a lot of people. Uh, and, you know, most 18 year olds aren't consuming the same kind of content as 50 year olds. And right. not the, the need state is very different. So segmenting your audience is really important. That's so cool. Uh, our next clip is Diana Lidstone, and she is also has new decades of, of business experience. She's owned her own stores and things, and now what she does is she helps um, typically service-based business owners really figure out what they want to sell, how to sell it, and all that kind of stuff. So yes. the building the product, if you will. Your business is like having a coin. There's two sides to that coin. There's your expert side, mm-hmm. and then there's the business side. And... Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you, many of them, you know, go and get certifications or they leave corporate uh, and they've got this expertise, but they don't know how to turn it into, or they don't know how to monetize it. They don't know how to create a business around it. So that's. So that's one thing, but I also would say, is there a challenge around creating product? Yes. So can you talk a little bit about what it means to create a product in a service-based business? Like your business, you have created a product. Product allows you to shift from being this super customizable, whatever, one-on-one all the time. And when you are one-on-one like this all the time, there's, there's a ceiling, there's a cap on how many hours and how much income you can make because your income is tied to the number of hours. I call it selling time. Such a big deal, oh, yeah. selling time. Right. I, and it is, it really does cap potential. 
Service-based businesses have been in that uh, time model for you know selling hours for quite a long time. And really, we've started to shift our focus a little bit to what's our value proposition and what's our return on investment of what we do to our for our clients. Mm. Um, and because we really want to sell value. Yeah. Not time. Yes. Uh, and expertise. So, uh, you know, productizing is very, very difficult. Like as, I, as we were talking, like it's, it's a matter of aggregating and, and, and this unique selling proposition or methodology in your business and packaging that up in a way and copywriting or trademarking and, and, and using it in a way that brings value to your clients. I mean, that's what it comes down to, right? Is the value. And I, I, I also, I sometimes dislike, for example, when I'm talking to a service provider and I go, here's what I'd like to do. And they tell me it's going to be between this and this. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, how could you not know? Mm. right like give me a number I'm actually and I know that sometimes you'll win and sometimes you'll lose but as long as you win more than you lose it should be yeah. a wash but then I have cost certainty yeah the, sometimes in specifically with professional services it gets uh, it gets hard to estimate if you don't know the client oh. because you don't know how much time the client requires fair enough so that's that that's, could be that's some your, of it. Yeah, <laughs> but definitely, I think as a service offering, if you can get to that, that can really make your business easier. I find that when you, it also takes some of that onus away because you're selling some a system or a product versus yourself in a yeah. service-based industry. And you know, Wendy, if it's a range, break it down a la carte, right, for the client, so they can understand what what the cost is associated with each of those kind yes. of things that you're promo uh, presenting. <laughs> and here's how you can affect the price as a client. Exactly. I mean, that's the thing about collaboration and clients. Uh, they have a part to play in relationships. Mm. And we've gone from this, and I think you can see this in client service and customer service throughout the world because of, uh, of talent shortages and so mm. on. We've gone from just expecting kind of that service to be there for us all the time and taking some of that for granted and and the customer being the recipient of it. But it really is a relationship. Uh, it can be transactional, like when I go into a, a retail store, or it can be much more deep, much deeper if mm. I'm in a long-term um, client relationship. Yes. But the client has impact on the cost a lot of the time. Absolutely. And, and helping the them to understand that's really important. Yeah. So we've talked about uh, knowing your client, having a system, and now we're going to talk a little bit about how to promote that. And we've talked about some marketing, but Paul Fitzgerald, he's actually a uh, public relations guy. Nice. And his company is Salt and Pepper Media. He's out of Toronto, uh, and he has a fascinating perspective on that. I tell any client, you know, put yourself out in the newswire, get on the mom and pa blogs, um, right. and of course, always shoot for the big outlets, but take whatever you can because once people google in your business and they see you on google the first couple pages they're more they're gonna they're more they're not, not only gonna engage more but they're gonna buy the uh thing that came up for me here was quality not quantity because i think yeah. we sometimes say a national publication might actually be more valuable but you have some great stories around how small niche publications Yes. generated fantastic return on investment. Tell yeah. me a story, Paul, in this area. Yeah, well, I was working with uh, um, uh, a company that had invented a mouth guard. That was my first gig. 
uh, being solo. And um, I put out a news release and there was a small publication. It was like an engineering publication uh, that um, wanted to cover it and wanted to interview the dentist. Now, the dentist at the time was very reluctant because, you know, of course, we all wanted CNN and ABC. Yeah. It's kind of like this little newsletter, email newsletter. It was an engineering newsletter. Had, I think, 272, let's just say 300 for argument's sake, subscribers. And of course, I had put the news release out, sent it to all sorts of uh, different places, including this little engineering publication, which, by the way, was out of Massachusetts, uh, Boston. And um, so sure enough, I got a call from the editor of the publication. And uh, he said, look, I want to interview the dentist. So I went back to the dentist and he's like, no, I, I, I don't want to do, do this. Like, it's what a waste of my time. I said, no, 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 no. This is our first, this is our first rodeo. You know, it's good training. Yes. Let's see where it goes, right? No, 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 no. I'm, he almost he came so close to firing me. He was so mad at me. Anyway, I talked him into it. He did the interview. Um, it was on a Monday or Tuesday. It doesn't matter. But the following weekend, the newsletter had gone out on a Saturday uh, with the news. Like, you know, here's an invention. Here's an invention. Here's an invention. Here's a mouth guard. Um, so sure enough, Monday rolled around and I got a uh, an email from uh, a gentleman from one of the subscribers, the email subscribers for this engineering publication. He's like, hey, I read about this mouth guard. I see you're the PR guy. He goes, by the way, I'm the sports editor uh, at the Boston Herald. And I know Manny Ramirez. And we'd like to uh, have him try it. If he likes it, we'll do a story and we'll put it on the front page of the sports section. So sure enough, um, Dennis went down, fitted Manny Ramirez. Um, the reporter did the story ended up on the front page. And from there, we went to the LA Times, we went to NBC, we went to morning shows right across the country, of course, with the different dentists offering it in different markets. So that had catapulted, that took us from zero to hero within a span of two weeks. I, I love that story for so story. many levels, right? I think from a mindset perspective, it's about being open because you don't know where the opportunities are gonna come. Yeah. yeah. You're absolutely right. It's a fantastic story. Never would have dreamed it. Probably, you know, yeah, easy to shut down. Mm -hmm. Kind of, oh no, that's not going to work. And good for good for them. Good for him. I mean, it was a. It's an amazing story. I think you know, earned media is really important. Mm. But I really Can agree you with you. Find earned media for earned media is not paid media. So you're oh. not paying to oh. have it. So it's earned. You're actually your name is out there, and it's been earned based on. Something Mer you did. Merit, yeah. <laughs> let's say. But I do really agree with your perspective of quality over quantity. Yeah. Uh, and consistency. So, you know, if you're all over the place, then uh, it probably has less impact than if you're very directed about how you get that right. earned reputation. Do you think it's harder to get earned now? Uh, I think in some ways it's, it's much easier because of, you know, the democratizing of social media channels, if you will, or media in general. So easy. Yeah. Well, our next one, we're going back to Ross again. Nice. Um, we both love him. He's evangelical about the distribution of content. And so he has such a great perspective and he's going to share that now. What does distribution mean um, for your content that you're getting out there into the world? Right. Yeah. So we're on this podcast right now and somebody's listening to us in their ears. Amazing. That is great. But for a lot of a lot of times when people press publish on podcasts, they press publish on a new blog post, they press publish on something, the piece lives and dies the day in which it goes live. It mm -hmm. just goes live. They expect the world to hear it and they expect that that's going to turn into something amazing for their life and career. Sometimes you get lucky 
And sometimes that will happen. But more times than not, what actually drives results from this asset that you've created or worked on is the actual distribution of that thing. For years, content marketing gurus have preached about the importance of creating content. And yes, it is important to create content. But when you create that content, you also have to distribute it. You have to share it on Twitter. You have to share it on LinkedIn. You have to put it on your Instagram story. You have to find that subreddit, that Slack community, that Facebook group, that network community and inside of your email signature, inside of a newsletter. You have to spread it so more people have the ability to get access to it. But for some reason, a lot of creators don't do that. They believe that the goal is to just create something and they get brownie points and excited about the idea of creating something, which I get. I get it because creation is hard. Creating is very difficult. When you go from a blank canvas to actually producing something, it gives you joy and gives you satisfaction. But what you need to also remember is that that satisfaction can be 10x when more people get to consume it. So you have to start sharing that thing. You need to promote that thing. And you have to get over the fear of being judged by your peers for being too promotional. Because at the end of the day, everybody has so many things that they actually care about more than whether or not you're being too promotional that it doesn't matter that much. And the reason why I say that is at the end of the day, right now, while someone is listening to this, they're going to hear this episode. They're going to hear that podcast. It's going to be great. I hope they get a lot of value out of it, but then they're going to go off and probably have to deal with a crying toddler. Someone's going to have to go deal with a dog that just pooped in the middle of the living room. And those are things that will now have your attention. You're not going to care if you happen to see Wendy promote this again tomorrow. It's not going to bug you. Because you're going to view it as someone is trying to add more value to their community and their network. So those are the things that you want to do. Those are the things that you want to invest in um, is ensuring that you're distributing your stories consistently. Whew. As usual, truth bombs all over the place there. I feel like with Ross, like we can apply that message across a number of places. And the thing I can remember makes me think of is my first year marketing course that I took, and it was taught by Professor Kling. He was this big, tall Texan dude. And I was a member of the back row superstars. So I sat <laughs> at the back row. And he talked about SRC, which was self-reference criteria. And I've used that screen for a lot of things, right? Mm -hmm. So the fact that we feel like we're bothering someone or being too promotional is really SRC. Yeah, well, hats <clears throat> off to creators, what you're doing here. I mean, Ross is right. Creating is amazing. Mm -hmm. It's really amazing. It takes a lot of courage and, and so hats off to creators. But Ross brings out a really, really good point, And that is reach versus attention. So Ooh. content is ubiquitous right now. Like mm -hmm. you can't, there's, I mean, I have so many choices of what content, how many podcasts and so on. Never been more choice for content. Remember growing up when you had a few channels, like, you know, and you had, had one. Yeah. So you're, so you're, you know, like you had no choices. Now we just have endless choices and you can grow your following. Um, and that's really important. At, and it's very important for all of Ross's points, not your reach or yes. your distribution. But this, the, the, the important part now of breaking through is attention. Mm. And that's a much more complex notion. Uh, than reach or uh, you know gaining a bunch of followers. It's, yes. how, it's how do we how do we grab the attention? And generally, it's by being generous. And mm -hmm. but there is a lot of content out there. It's unbelievable the amount of content. So we have to yes put it out there. Yes, be bold. Yes, be courageous about that. 
And we also have to look for that data back that it's uh, from our, our mm-hmm. from the people that we're reaching. Uh, is it grabbing their attention? I'd also like to talk, go back and so in Monique's point about personal branding and your thought about authenticity. I feel like to cut through, you actually have to point of view. Yes, yes, absolutely. And, um, and have a well thought out point of view. Mm. Um, because there is a lot of content out there that's just um, opinion with no kind of nothing behind it. Right, exactly. Now let's transition a little bit around, you know, into the mind, the inside game and how that can affect and help you grow your business. Um, I feel like that is maybe the most overlooked place where you can make the most biggest strides in your business is even how you show up. What are your thoughts on that? I think the inside game is the most important game. Managing the the noise in your head. Yeah. Uh, and keeping and and really just becoming a pro at that uh, is a lifetime journey. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the most impactful thing that you can do because it does affect your mindset. It affects how you lead. It affects you know how many boogeymen you see. Mm-hmm. Like it really is the inside game is the biggest. And with the rise in mental health issues. Uh, in the workplace, we really, we really owe it to ourselves to keep our heads straight. Oh, that's an amazing point of view. Mm-hmm. Well, the first person we're going to listen to now is John Swain, and he is an accountant in Nova Scotia, and he has had an amazing journey in the inside game. So let's listen to that. I always had it, although I was misguided in my, in the way we were growing. What I never lost was our purpose. I mean. Mm-hmm. We always had a very solid sense of what our purpose is, and that's to inspire small business owners. I had that since I was 14. And so because that was so entrenched in, in everything that we did, he, you know, he thought that we were ripe for a transformation. And that's you know, essentially a whole overhaul, a whole purge, a whole you know, um, setup of strategic um, a strategic system, uh, continuous improvement environment, the whole kit and caboodle, and we did it. And it was it wasn't cheap. Um, it was it was it cost about as much as I paid for my house originally. We did get some funding for it, but that's the leap of faith that I took because you know it, it was so important. And what that taught us, it, you know, I, I could go, I could talk for days about about the transformation that happened. But here's the biggest highlight. What it taught me was that I had to let go entirely. First of all, I had to let go of my ego. Yeah. There is no place in an organization. I'm sorry, but um, there is no place for an o- owner's ego. Um, and some people disagree with that, and, and that's fine. But for me, I had to lose that. I had to understand that this organization um, did not rely on me to, to sit in my ivory tower and decide, you know, um, how it was going to be run. If I wasn't willing to bring process to the people, to allow the people to shape the process that they inevitably were going to be living in, and they and, and until I was ready to let go and let them make the adjustments and learn to take control and take ownership of the process and me step aside and just let it happen, um, I, I was never, you know, never going to, get through this and, and, and poise myself for, for growth, true growth. Fascinating clip, Donna. And I, kudos to John. 
Mm-hmm. Because that is not an easy journey to recognize when you're kind of getting in your own way. Mm-hmm. And ego can be something that saves you and it can be something that sinks you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, entrepreneur, entrepreneurism is, um, you need a certain amount of ego to think that you could su- you can su- you can succeed. But you're absolutely right. I mean, you said it, uh, or one of the guests said it, like you hire, hire smart. Yeah. Um, get out of their way. I, I'm always a firm believer that you learn from everyone in the room. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter what their position is. But the other thing that I think it comes up here and, uh, and I think it'll, it, it's a, it's something that I've toyed with for a lot or a long time or thought about for a long time is that you have to be fit to lead. And I don't mean physically fit only. I mean, although that's important. It's, you know, if you, if you think about in the armies and the leaders of, you know, the successful leaders in any area are looking at, they're putting their oxygen mask on and they're being of service to other people by looking after themselves. And I think this mm-hmm. idea of being fit to lead is really important. So John's done a lot of inner work, it sounds like. Yeah. And that's really important. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that, like we talked about, it's this area that we skim over. Mm -hmm. And I think we push through a lot of stuff sometimes. I think entrepreneurs have a lot, a big impact on the people that work with them. Mm. Um, Entrepreneurs don't always color inside the lines. And so just building your awareness of what that impact is. Absolutely. Yeah. Our next clip is coming from Teresa Esler and uh, full confession, she has been my strategic coach coach. So I've known her for over a decade now. Uh, She actually is going to be the winner of Longest in Business. So she's over 40 years now. Wow. Oh yeah. And she's smart and she's all about communication and, you know, just being around so many entrepreneurs. She's learned a lot of lessons. I bet. One is, is that there are no mistakes and don't be afraid of making mistakes and don't be afraid of failure. Um, because it's huge, you know, you work in finance and we'd all like to think that when we invest all, it all just goes in a straight line up and, and it doesn't, you know, there's business is tough. It's hard work and there are sleepless nights and, and it's, it's not just all fun and roses and it just works out according to plan. You know, there are anybody who's in business has setbacks. Anybody who's in business has times where it doesn't go according to plan. You know, so 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 the the lesson is um, to embrace that it's not easy and it's not fun and to persevere because oftentimes it's the last man standing who wins. (laughs) What is it? You don't fail unless you don't get up the last time. Yeah, just keep getting up. Just keep getting up, you know, figuring it out. What's the next? What's my next thing when it looks when it looks like there like there there are no options left? Find the option. You just Um, don't just don't give up. Keep working at it. Great coach. (laughs) (laughs) I, I love that talk about embracing failure. You know, I like to look at mistakes as learnings and I've always tried to position that in my head that, oh, well, that didn't work. It's just now I know something that didn't work. Was it Einstein that said, he, you know, I've got a thousand ways that a light bulb doesn't work now? Yeah. I think it's a really healthy attitude. And as a recovering perfectionist, and we talked about this at the beginning, you and I, about perfectionism and how it can get into in your way. 
you know, I think uh, I think this idea, and it's supported in in a lot of mainstream media that we're supposed to be really good and smart and perfect and. Mistakes are very important. And I think once we as leaders embrace our mistakes, people around us are open and freer to uh, to access their full toolkit. Right. Because they're not afraid of making mistakes. And I would say it's taken me a while to get that as well. Uh, and I love what uh, Teresa says about, you know, uh, just trying to figure it out. I think most entrepreneurs are building the boat as they go. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, so, you know, and I think that's, that's important because entrepreneurship is also a creative process. Yes. It's very different than, you know, maybe painting a picture, but in my mind, one of the most creative things that I've ever done in my life is, has been what I've done in creating and, and growing my business. It's my canvas. Ooh, I love that perspective. And perseverance, I think, is one of the key hallmarks of being a good entrepreneur. Yeah. Because like she said, the the road isn't always smooth. Yeah, it's easy to be a good leader when things are going right. <laughs> and that's like an adage from my dad. I, 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 he taught me it's easy to it's easy to be great when things are going well. It's your true your true passion, your true grit is really tested when things aren't going well. Yeah. And I think that's an important thing to look for in employees, too, that can handle a little failure. Yeah. yeah. Sounds interesting. Yeah, she had a lot of good things. Uh, our next clip is coming from Michael Davinian. He's local. He's a good friend of yours, I believe. He is a good friend of mine. And I loved talking to him because he was just so open and transparent. We've talked a little bit about mental health, but he is so clear about what his journey in that area is. And that the research he has done has shown that as entrepreneurs, a lot of us have had mental health challenges. I think Micah has been on the forefront of um, mental health and entrepreneurship uh, in terms of the data. And I have to say, uh, I'm going into this clip a little biased because in terms of courage, he's probably the most Mm -hmm. courageous person I know, given what he's had to deal with. And he's probably one of the most knowledgeable, well-read and heartfelt person I know too. He's truly, truly a vulnerable like he mm. just allows that vulnerability to come through. And that takes a lot of courage. Sure does. The mindset project was to find out, was it just me? Or, or is this something a lot of other people go through? And I went into the mindset project to really understand entrepreneurs and mental health and how it affects their decision making. And when I look back, <clears throat> I would say that I did not know what I was doing. <laughs> And, uh, but I've been, a, I've been a researcher and an analyst for years, so it, it wasn't that bad. But the biggest, uh, I think, accomplishment is we had 437 entrepreneurs take an hour out of their time to complete a survey. Mm-hmm. And what came through that loud and clear was I was not alone. And this was something that was prevalent and that people were not dealing with. So, the big number, of course, was that 67% of all entrepreneurs will have some form of mental illness during their working years. So two-thirds mm. of us will experience this, and more than a third will not deal with it. And What does uh, that mean, not deal with it? They won't seek treatment. They won't talk about it. Um, a lot of what I heard was I, no one will understand. You know, the life that I have, 
that no one's going to get it. And going to a therapist, um, going on medication, whatever it's going to be, not going to, not going to change things. Hmm. Um, so there's just so many people that continue just to put pressure on themselves. And originally, so we, it's still the largest study ever done in the world on, on entrepreneurs and mental health. So I'm quite proud of it. Well, I, you know, first off, thank you, Michael, Hmm. for having that courage Hmm. and the tenacity to to push through for his stuff, get his own treatment, but also to be open and transparent about that journey and how, how it's, how other entrepreneurs are on that journey as well. I loved when he said, I didn't know what I was doing. I mean, that is truly, truly vulnerable uh, to say that. And, uh, and we have all been there. Like there's some things we've done and we go, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm just going to go give it the... But I, I think what Michael's big legacy is, is how many people he's touched and trying to remove the stigma of mental health. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, people might have thoughts about how that should be done, or but he's doing it. He's right. the one in the arena doing it. And uh, I think it's it's super important that we kind of tip our hat to someone bringing to light these issues. What's also interesting to me is how few people or how the stigma holds people back from getting help, right? Because if we're talking about the inside game and how that affects your business, it affects all asset, all parts of your life, all aspects of it. So, you know, I think what Michael's saying is it's okay to go get help. Yeah. He's saying it's okay that it's, that it, that you feel that way, yeah. it's okay to go get help and you're not alone. And there's such power in that you're not alone message, I think, for entrepreneurs who often wear masks if I got it together. Oh, absolutely. Right. Yeah. When have you met an entrepreneur that didn't say everything was going fantastic? Well, yeah. And I think there was a period in my life where I had a, a, a bout with anxiety. And I remember my daughter, who is in the mental health field, said, you need to tell people. And I went, why? And she said, because everyone thinks you've got your shit together. Oh. And it would be really important for people to know that you also, it, just because it looks that way. And I think in the age of social media, where we're all putting forward our best life, I think having these honest conversations is really important. I'm, it's not like I'm wearing a banner across my chest about it, but uh, what Michael's doing in, in bringing technology and uh, research to the table is really, I think, so important. to be commended. Our final clip is Anthea Rumby. And she has just, uh, she was in the property and casualty insurance business, her and her husband, Mm -hmm. and they just sold their business. And now what she's doing is helping primarily entrepreneurial couples build their vision, which is so important to know where you want to go. And then there's a tie into mental health on that. It became part of the conversation. It became part of the, um, you know, and the vision statement uh, for us uh, and, and in the way I, I create them now when I'm working with uh, entrepreneurial couples is it's one to two pages. It's several paragraphs. Oh, okay. Yes, it's not a one-liner. It's, you know, there's, there's some meat to this thing. Um, enough meat that there is clarity without it becoming an entire book, right? That it's, it's not a manifesto. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And yeah, so with with team members, uh, we would have a we would share it. Yes. We would have a conversation around it with them. Mm-hmm. And then we would ask some questions. For example, how is this vision meaningful to you as a potential team member? And 
how do you see yourself contributing to what it is that we're creating over the next three years? So was it all, did it become a tool for not only attraction, but maybe weeding out folks that didn't align with that vision? Very much so, very much so. Because you could tell if they didn't, just how they engaged in the conversation, mm. whether it was really, were they aligned with it or not? And, you know, if you kind of got like a, yeah, it sounds good. And they gave you a canned answer, then that was a pretty good indicator that, you know, paying lip service to it, as opposed to saying- oh. Do you have a vision statement, Donna? Yes, I do. And, I, you know, we have a vision statement. I have my own personal values. Our company is very, it's very important that everybody, everything we do is infused with our values in our company. But, you know, it's really interesting, the dynamic of working with couples in business, which is has a whole other uh, set of challenges and opportunities. But I think I love what uh, what was said there because... You know, she talked about the North Star. Yeah. And some people are not, they're not going to get on the bus with you. Yes. Not everyone is going to be aligned. That that doesn't mean that you shouldn't have your North Star. Yes. And although sometimes, you know, people leaving or not coming on that bus can be painful, in the end, every time, and I've had 35 years of, you know, history, um, <laughs> it works out for the best. Right. It works out for the best. So it's really important to have that mission statement. And I think, you know, I can only imagine that with a couple, having those two sets of values, merging those, finding commonality, that could be a challenging process. Absolutely. And then to tie that back into mental health, if you know your why, which is part of what that vision and, and mission becomes, that's helpful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because uh, if you know the why, on the days that it's not going well and you can't see that light, you, you have that to hold on to. That's kind of your 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 buoy, if you will. Mm. Donna, we've reached the end of our clips. Wow. They uh, were fascinating. They could do this all day. I know. <laughs> I felt like that too. So what were some of your key takeaways from those clips today? Well, I think, uh, let's go back and see. Like, I think culture mm. in an organization, yep. so important. I think Ross uh, really uh, pointed that out well. I think trust you know, when you think about it, I got a lot of human stuff out of these uh, clips. Business is business, but we're people. Yeah. And so, you know, how the importance of culture, the importance of trust, the importance of making mistakes, particularly. Yeah. The importance of taking care of our health, physical and mental. I think the importance of doing our own inner work, which mm. I'm a big believer in. And I know not everyone is, but I, I am. I think those things are, I took the, I took the human things. And in the end, you know, I think the human part of business is the part that turns me on the most. It is the best part, isn't mm -hmm. it? Well, I have to say that the humans I got to meet doing a hundred episodes mm -hmm. were just fascinating. And I just loved talking to them all and the things I learned from them as I went through, you know, when you go back and reflect, wow. I was so lucky that they blessed them, blessed me with their time and sharing their stories. Would you mind if I interviewed you a little? Yes, go for it. Okay. Oh no, first, I don't mind. First of all, congratulations. Thank you. Like, it is astounding and really, really an accomplishment to do what you've done in terms of persevering through a hundred episodes mm. and really bringing that rich content to all of us. So thank you and congratulations. Thank you.
I'm kind of interested in your why mm. on this podcast and why it was important for you to do this. Well, it's interesting. I think I love stories. You know, when I look at the, my favorite kind of book, once you get past the mysteries and the, and the fiction, but on the nonfiction side, I love biographies. Mm. I love reading about people's stories, you know, and part of me sometimes wonders, you know, in my my typical content or my typical very loose approach is I want to know how did you get into business? How did you end up here doing what you're doing? And that was almost my favorite part because I love those stories, you know, and when I'm sitting with with clients or with people, sometimes I love hearing how they met. Yeah. How did this start for you? Like yeah. that, that to me is the nuggets and sharing those, you know, I think then other people get to hear other stories and, you know, that's what everyone talks about now is it's about stories mm. and now to be able to help other people not only share their story, but hopefully amplify what they are doing mm. to a greater audience gives me a lot of joy. I love where we are right now in terms of coming back to storytelling, mm. to the art of storytelling. And uh, what you've just said is you love the human, the mm. humanity of it. And I love, I love that. I love, that's why I tune in yeah. is to hear what, what's their journey like and wh what can I learn? But also how's our, how's our journey been similar and how's it been different? Right. Yeah. And I often, I, I don't script the thing, the event, um, the podcast hardly at all. And for some people that can be a little stressful, but for most, they just go with it. And I said, I don't know, you're going to say something and I'm going to want to go down that rabbit hole. Yeah. So I want the total freedom to go down that rabbit hole. Good for you. Yeah. I love that. So Wendy, mm -hmm. what have you learned? Give me three things you've learned through this process. Oh my goodness. Well, we'll go back to the basics, right? Consistency is key. Mm -hmm. having a methodology and I think the third thing is just being open with zero expectations so when I go into a conversation on the podcast I try and go in with I'm not trying to steer this in any particular way it's going to unfold as it was meant to unfold so just being open to letting that happen and then bringing out the key parts of it for people I love that trust yeah that's so great so what what makes you want to keep going Oh, well, there's more stories to be told, Donna. There's more stories to be told. And I think that leads nicely into our next evolution on the next thing we're launching. It's, it's going to be called the Elite Business Community. And what we're going to do is have a community of business owners. Once a month, we'll meet. There'll be an educational component. Sometimes that might be me. Sometimes it might be someone else. And then we'll dig into those concepts. But we'll also get to meet other people. So it'll be a more of a, a learning slash sharing slash get to meet more entrepreneurs and hear what they're up to. But in a more, you know, live workshoppy type thing. Oh, I love it. I love, yeah. love, love it. Yeah, that's fantastic. Thank you for uh, inviting me to co-host this very memorable podcast with you. Oh my gosh. Uh, you're an inspiration and I'm honored to be here. Oh, well, I'm equally honored. And I think the real bottom line here is there is a lot to learn from other people's stories. So that's a wrap on The Real Bottom Line, our 100th episode. We featured clips from 12 previous guests and oh my God, they're gold. And what is also gold is a number of them have provided us with gifts for you, tools, resources, opportunities that you can take advantage of. So go to our website, blackstarwealth.com backslash 100 to sign up to receive them. Hey, growth-oriented business owners. Are you ready to take your business to new heights and connect with like-minded entrepreneurs? I would like to introduce you to the Elite Growth Community, your ticket to a world of learning, sharing, strategizing, and problem solving. 
Our monthly live events will bring together successful business owners just like you who are making over six figures and have been in the game for at least two years. And the best part, your first event is absolutely free. So try it out and see if it's the right fit for you. And after that, for just $17 a month, you'll unlock unlimited access to our exclusive community where you can accelerate your business growth like never before. No commitments, month to month. Don't miss out on this amazing opportunity to join the elite growth community at blackstarwealth.com backslash elite. Sign up today and watch your business soar to a new heights. That's blackstarwealth.com backslash E-L-I-T-E. Hope to see you soon.